The following message has been brought to you by Trinity Baptist Church. For more information, visit us on the web at trinitybc.org. Assyrians, 
And then a little while after that, they're going to come in and they're going to bring judgment on Jerusalem, on the people of God because of their hard-heartedness, because of their sinfulness. You know, we look at what's going on in Israel today. And we look at the extremely wicked and atrocious acts that have been committed, and yet, on a very small scale, when you look at the grand scale of things, in comparison to the entirety of the nation of Israel, and the entirety of the population of Israel. And I say that not to minimize the suffering of what's going on in Israel today, but to draw a, a, a greater reality to the extent of judgment that God poured out upon His people when the Babylonians came in. And it wasn't just a small infiltration of 1,100 people or 1,200 people. It was hundreds of thousands who were killed and brutally murdered in Jerusalem, burned and the wall completely destroyed. And, and the people that were left taken back, not as hostages, but as captives, as slaves to the land of Babylon. It, it was a, a, an atrocious judgment that was coming because of their hard-hearted sin. And the reality of that is what it took for God to get their attention, so to speak. All, all the while we've seen, it's coming by the sovereign hand of God, the permissive hand of God. In a way, He removes His restraints and He says, have it your way. Uh, man, do what your heart desires. I'm not going to, of my grace, restrain the wickedness of humanity as He so often does. And, and we show our true colors and, and such things occur and, and happen. Um, God, all the while, is still on His throne. That's the message of Zephaniah. That's the message of Isaiah. That's the message of Jeremiah that we're going to look to shortly. That's the message that Habakkuk even struggled with himself. God, how can this happen if you are righteous and you are holy? How can you even use the, the Babylonians or a people who are more wicked than we are? And the whole reason that God is giving these words is that the people might know in the midst of what seems like God disappearing, in the midst of what seemingly is God even being defeated because the people of God are being removed from the promised land, God is letting them know beforehand, this isn't happening because I'm too weak to deliver. <laughs> this isn't happening because the gods of Babylon are greater. This isn't happening because I fell asleep and wasn't paying attention. No, God's saying all of this is happening by my sovereign decree because of your sin, because of your rebellious heart, because of your consistent rejection of me, your persistent, stubborn rebellion against me. God's letting them know beforehand it's coming. One, they're given an opportunity to repent in that knowledge that they get. But two, it's also that when they walk through it, they can realize this isn't God failing us. This is actually God at work in the midst of this. As it is even today. You know, We don't need to fret and worry as if God is unable to work what He has determined beforehand to bring about the end of all things. How close are we? Who knows? Maybe tonight. Maybe a hundred years from now. We, we don't know. No man knows the day or the hour, Christ says. And it's foolish to speculate. Uh, but what we do know is that through it all, God is God. 
And through it all, we grieved because of the wickedness and the atrocity, and we turned to God in the midst of it. And even tonight, we, we're going to look to a word that ought to be our heart response to not only universal suffering, not only big world events like what's going on with the war in Ukraine and the war in Israel now, but even the personal sufferings of our own life. We can apply this truth that we're going to look at tonight in the big picture, which is good and is healthy, but we also can apply it individually, personally, to our own suffering, to our own seasons of life that we go through that we don't understand. That we wonder, where is God in the midst of? The book of Zephaniah, we've already seen, has, has presented to us an intense picture of the judgment of God. It is a powerful description of the, the judgment that God will pour out upon sinners because of their waywardness, because of their wickedness. But it also contains, as we'll see tonight, one of the most intense descriptions of God's love, of His grace and of His mercy to redeem, to deliver, to save, to renew, to restore any and all who turn to Him. Any and all who are the faithful remnant who seek the Lord in the midst of the tribulation that they endure. Who turn even from their sin to follow after Him. The title of the message tonight is The God Who Seems. Taken from verse 17. Look to verse 17 to begin with, and we'll read through the, the remainder of the verses in a moment. But chapter 3 and verse 17, listen to this beautiful description of the love of God for His people. The Lord your God in your midst, the Mighty One, will save. He will rejoice over you with gladness. He will quiet you with His love. He will rejoice over you with singing. Now, singing is really a strange phenomenon. It's so common that we don't find it odd because we are a singing people. But if you just think about it for a moment, singing is pretty strange. It's a peculiar communication. It's an interesting art even, expression of such passion and emotion in the conveyance of knowledge with that emotion, with the beauty and art, with the harmony of, of both the, the harmonies that, that mend together and the dissonance of the tension and the, like most of you, many of you in here know music, and to think for a moment how unique, unique and peculiar that is. There's no other created animal. Not that we're animals, we're not. This is one way we determine we're not. No other animal can appreciate music as human beings do. Even in the secular realm, to think about secular music and how it is such, it's so popular, it's so common, it is such a thing that thousands of people will gather and will pay extraordinary amounts of money to listen to some person sing. It's insane in one sense, and yet there, there's something to it. There's something that grips the human heart. And to think of Christianity in particular, that Christianity is out of all the false religions of the world, Christianity is set apart in that it, 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 it emphasizes the singing of the believer. That Christians are a singing people. That Christians are called 
to sing over and over and over again in the Bible. Psalm 96 is such an instance. Oh, sing to the Lord a new song. Sing unto the Lord all the earth. Sing unto the Lord, bless His name, show forth His salvation from day to day. Declare His glory among the heathen, His wonders among all people. Sing, oh, sing unto the Lord. Three times repeated that emphasis even in the Hebrew of that three-time repetition. That the, the, the Christians are a singing people. You didn't find it very peculiar when we began the service this morning, or this morning, this evening. You did this morning because you weren't here. This evening was singing. It's a habit that we've been acclimated and accustomed to. I can remember, uh, it's been about two years ago on a Sunday morning, I left my little lapel microphone on after I got done with my announcements and went over there right there where I'm normally at and was singing the song with all my heart unto the Lord. And and thankfully in the house, you didn't hear me, but if you were listening online, some of you did hear me. And, and Owen at the piano over here, keyboard, is looking at me going, your mic is on, your mic is on. You know, like, I can't even play because of the, the noise in my ear right now. Some of us have been granted very powerful, beautiful voices. Some of us, not so much so. But everybody, I'd imagine in your car or something, you sing, and hopefully corporately you may not sing loud, but you sing unto the Lord. There's something about an expression that comes forth in singing, the expression of music, of song. I have thought often about Christians being a singing people, about humanity in general being uh, people who sing. But I'll be honest with you, seldom have I thought about God Almighty singing over us. Think about that for a moment. That God, the God of the universe, the God who is this holy, almighty judge, sings. over His children who have turned to Him, who are seeking Him, who are serving Him. It's a beautiful picture of God's love for us. Of the the, the, the emotion even of His heart that's been attributed to Him. There's so much that we don't understand about God. Does He does He experience truly emotions as we do? Not likely, but to some regard, we're created in His image. And these expressions, some take a... I'm diving into a place I didn't even plan, but there's some that take a, an approach of God that, given that our emotions are changing and God never changes, that there's a constant in God where these emotions that are mentioned are an expression of His being towards us. And it's not the fullness of of the experience of who God is, that He would go through these emotions, but they're meant for us to, to comprehend in just a, a way that we can. God's love for us, God's devotion for us, God's heart for us, for His people, of His grace and of His mercy, those that turn to Him, those that seek Him, those that follow Him. To think tonight that God Almighty is singing over you if you are His child, if you are one of his. Chapter 3, we're going to see as we read it in just a moment, is it ends verses 8 through 20 um, with God taking action over and over and over and over and over again. There's only one real command for you and I to follow, and we'll look at it as the very last thing. 
but the entirety of the chapter is really a description of what God is going to do for His people Israel. And by application, we as the church have been grafted in as the people of God. This is true of you and me. Now, where it will truly be fulfilled, is that in the millennial kingdom? Is that even in the here and now in the church? In a sense, there is fulfillment of this. It will be in the millennial kingdom. It will be in the eternal state, most definitely in a new heaven and a new earth. These truths that that Zephaniah is prophesying about, the work of God that He will accomplish for His people. I want us to read through it. I want us to walk back through it tonight. I've summarized it just in 12 actions, and I could have taken probably 14 or 15 that we could have divided it up in. You'll see as we read through it, it is a a very powerful description of the work of God for His people. Let's begin reading in verse 8. Therefore wait for me, says the Lord, until the day I rise up for plunder. My determination is to gather the nations to my assembly of kingdoms to pour on them my indignation and my fierce anger. All the earth shall be devoured with the fire of my jealousy. We talked about the jealousy of God before. This isn't a uh, a fickle jealousy of sinful human beings. This is the righteous jealousy of God, that He alone is God, that He alone has created every human being, that He alone is worthy of our worship, worthy of their worship. And so there is a righteous jealousy of God over all people because He is their God and there is no other. And so He is rightfully due our worship. And when we don't worship Him, there is an indignation from His righteousness towards us. Verse For then I will restore to the peoples a pure language, that they all may call on the name of the Lord to serve Him with one accord. From beyond the rivers of Ethiopia, my worshipers, the daughter of my dispersed ones, shall bring my offering, and that day you shall not be shamed for any of your deeds in which you transgress against me. For then I will take away from your midst those who rejoice in your pride, and you shall no longer be haughty in my holy mountain. I will leave in your midst a meek and a humble people, and they shall trust in the name of the Lord. The remnant of Israel shall do no unrighteousness, and speak no lies, nor shall deceitful, uh, deceitful tongue be found in their mouth, for they shall feed their flocks and lie down, and no one shall make them afraid. Sing, O daughter of Zion, shout, O Israel, be glad and rejoice with all your heart, O daughter of Jerusalem. The Lord has taken away your judgments. He has cast out your enemy. The King of Israel, the Lord, is in your midst. You shall see disaster no more. And that day it shall be said to Jerusalem, Do not fear, Zion, let not your hands be weak. The Lord your God in your midst, the Mighty One, will save. He will rejoice over you with gladness. He will quiet you with His love. He will rejoice over you with singing. I will gather those who sorrow over the appointed assembly, who are among you to whom its reproach is a burden. Behold, at that time, I will deal with all who afflict you. I will save the lame and gather those who were driven out. I will appoint them for praise and fame. And every land where they put... uh, where they were put to shame. At that time I will bring you back. Even at that time I gather you. For I will give you fame and praise among all the peoples of the earth when I return your captives before your eyes, says the Lord. 
Let's walk through some of these great works God will accomplish for His people. First, verse 8, God will rise up. The God who sings will rise up. He says in verse 8, until the day I rise up, there is coming a day when the God who seems distant and far off, when the God who doesn't seem present, when foreign nations are attacking Israel even, when the God who doesn't seem present when cancer comes into your life, when the car accident happens, when you grieve the loss of a loved one who passed, whether that was expected or not, and death knocks at your door, God someday will rise up. And God will one, judge the wicked, and He will redeem and restore those that have turned to Him. Redeem and restore all things. There is coming a day when Christ will return. There is coming a day when every knee will bow and every tongue will confess. There is coming a day that God will establish a kingdom of righteousness literally on this earth. It's called the Millennial Kingdom. There will come after that a new heaven and a new earth. Revelation 21, a new Jerusalem, a new city of God where He will be our God and we will be His people. God will rise up someday. It's not happening in the midst of this moment right now. Right now it seems like God's far off, but He's not. How do we know it? Zephaniah is reminding us of it tonight. Someday God will rise up, verse 8. It continues. Notice that the God who sings will do away with all who are evil. God will rise up for plunder. His determination will be to gather the nations and the assembly of kingdoms, and He'll pour out upon them His indignation and His fierce anger, and the earth shall be devoured with the fire of His jealousy. Preach that on a Sunday morning and see what kind of crowd you get, right? We love speaking of the grace and the mercy of God, but again, I've said it time and time again, you'll never understand His grace and mercy until you understand His righteous indignation towards you as a sinner. I guess only when you really feel the weight of your sin that you really understand what God does for you. And you really understand what Christ truly endured for you upon the cross of Calvary. Those that remain rebellious against God, someday God will bring judgment against the wicked. Every person who's committed a wicked act over this past weekend and the brutality of all that transpired, God will someday rise up and God will bring indignation. God will bring His fierce judgment. The earth itself and all that's wrong in this earth will be consumed, will be done away with. Read Revelation chapter 17, 18, and 19. It deals with that work of God where He does away with all that is sinful, all that is wicked. Satan and the lake of fire and all those who are of Satan into the lake of fire and all those whose names were not written in the book of life, all those who never repented, who never turned to the Lord. Verses 9 and 10, God who sings will restore His people, will restore us even to a pure worship. Look at verse 9. It says, For I will restore the peoples. This isn't going to include only Israel, ethnic Israel. Even here, there's a, a word of prophecy regarding God's plans for the nations, that this body that He will ultimately redeem and enter into the new heaven and new earth is not just ethnic Israel, but through ethnic Israel will include all nations. He will gather the peoples, those that have 
come to Him, those that have turned, those that are following after Him and seeking Him, and He will restore them, it says, to a pure language. Now, some take it very literally to speak of like the language in the Garden of Eden, the language of humanity before Bab- uh, the, the uh, Tower of Babel. I think there's maybe some truth in that, but more so it's in context dealing with the purity of worship and the purity of language, meaning the, the, the words that we speak are, are really an outpouring of our heart, the Lord says. Jesus even warns, James warns, that, that by the words of our mouth we reveal the inward part of our being. We see the heart. That, that a pure language represents the pure heart before the Lord. And that's why it continues that they may call on the name of the Lord to serve Him with one accord. There will be a unity in the body of Christ, a unity in this kingdom that is to come. And it's including people beyond the rivers of Ethiopia. The daughters that are dispersed uh, shall bring my offering, he says. That God's doing a work where one day He will gather all of His people together. And He will make us right in the righteousness of Christ. And there will be a oneness as Revelation puts it, He will be our God and we will be His people and He will commune with us once again. Garden of Eden restored and renewed. God Almighty fellowshipping with mankind, His creation. Verse 11, The God who sings will remove our shame. In that day you will not be shamed for any of your deeds in which you transgress against Me. And it's accomplished, we know, through the blood of Christ. That God will wash away the sins of His people. He will separate them as far as the east is from the west. That that He will redeem and forgive and renew. And and the shame of our sin will be remembered no longer because it is atoned for. It is forgiven. Verse 12, He will make of us a, a humble and a meek people. He will do away with the proud and the arrogant, those that live life in opposition to God, thinking they're independent of God. Now someday all will be humble and meek before the Lord. Someday all will be right before the Lord, which leads us to verse 13, that that He will make us righteous, that, that Israel will do no unrighteousness, that we even in Christ will do no unrighteousness. We will be fully sanctified in that day where we see Christ face to face. Sin will be no more. Former things will have passed away then. No longer do you have to battle when that day comes to seek the Lord because He's there. No longer will you have to fight the good fight of faith because faith will be sight. No longer will you have to, to fight against temptation because Satan and all temptation will be done away with. That day will be a glorious day. That day is coming. Verse 14, the God who sings will make us rejoice. It's a a prophetic past tense that's given in verses 14 and 15, dealing with a prophetic word given then in that time to God's people. In that moment where the day of the Lord comes and His people are fully redeemed and restored and the, the kingdom fully established, sing, O daughter of Zion, shout, O Israel, be glad and rejoice with all your heart, O daughter of Jerusalem. Why? The Lord has taken away your judgments. He's cast out your enemies. The King of Israel, the Lord, is in your midst. That there will come a day that God will accomplish that for His people. A day of great rejoicing, of gladness, of joy when, when all things have been made new. Verse 15, the God who sings will remove our judgments, dealing also with our sins. He's forgiven. The judgment for that sin will be done away with. 
Verse 17, God will save us. The Lord, your God in your midst, the Mighty One will save. Salvation. We were lost. We were on our way to hell. We were sinners without hope. Until God. Until His love. Until His intervention. Zephaniah, I can't imagine, he didn't understand how it would all unfold. He knew the revelation God had given at that time. But he did not know there would come one of the seed of the woman. There would come one of the offspring of David. He knew it would be of the offspring of David, actually, from the prophecies of Isaiah. Likely written before, just before, or as Zephaniah may be even giving these words. But there would be one who would come that would work redemption. It would be called Jesus, the one who would save His people from their sins. Zephaniah didn't know the fullness of how God was going to accomplish it, uh, but he knew God would save His people. And we see it now all perfectly unfolded when Jesus, the Son of God, not only is born of the Virgin Mary and lives a life of complete obedience in our place, but makes His way to Calvary. Not by accident, not, not unintentionally, but with intention. Even telling His disciples who couldn't understand it over and over again, I'm heading to the cross, guys. It's going to be a hard season that you're going to go through. But it's going to work out in the end. Christ knew that, that He would be resurrected on that third day. He taught them over and over again. It wasn't an accident. He came to die. Why? Because it was through His act of obedience and His death and burial and resurrection that we truly could be saved. That the people of God could be saved and redeemed and forgiven. Hear me just to clarify something right now. An Israelite today, a person who's a Hebrew today, they're not saved unless they know Christ as Lord and Savior. There's some confusion regarding that because of the special place Israel is held in the redemptive plan of God. But, but it's only through Christ. He's the way, the truth, and the life. An Israelite like Paul, <laughs> like the disciples, like Nicodemus, they needed Jesus. And blindness has come upon Israel to a large degree. But God's still at work, I believe. We'll dive into more of it as we look to more Scripture. But I believe there's a future work where God will draw His people to Christ. This isn't a work that God accomplishes apart from the greater Son of David, from the Messiah, from the Christ who came to Israel and also came to all the nations of the earth and even through their rejection has brought salvation even to us, the Gentiles. So don't, don't buy into the foolishness to think that just because one's an ethnic Israelite that they are saved. No, they need Jesus. There's a special history in their lineage that they belong to. They need Christ. They need the Gospel. And God is at work even in the mess that's going on right now to bring them to that end, to that point. God someday will save fully and completely all who turn to Him. He will rejoice over you with gladness to think of the rejoicing of God over one sinner that repents, as we read in the parables Jesus gave of the woman finding the lost coin even. The rejoicing of the father when the prodigal son returns. That, that there's, there's rejoicing in the presence of the angels when one sinner repents. God rejoices over His people coming to Him. He doesn't receive us uh, with, with sort of a 
cold-heartedness when we turn. Oh, He rejoices over His people. I love this verse, the next part of it. He will quiet you with His love. Are you anxious? Are you worked up over world events right now? Are you worked up over something personal in your life? It's good to just take a breath and think for a moment of the love of God. Read Romans 8 and consider the fact that if He gave Christ for you, will He not freely give you all things also? Read Romans 8.28 where it says, All things work together for good for those who love God, who are the called according to His purpose. Read the end of Romans chapter 8 where it says, Nothing will separate us from the love of God which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. So just take a breath and to be quieted by the love that God has. He will quiet you with His love. And it says He sings over you. He will rejoice over you with singing. And then verses 18-20. through 20, The God who sings will gather us and bring us home to that eternal home. I will gather those who sorrow over the appointed assembly, who are among you, to whom its reproach is a burden, even though to the world, and in a way the the church is a burden. Israel is a burden. God someday will gather those who are being persecuted. God will deliver. God will restore. Behold, at that time I will deal with all who afflict you. And I will save the lame and gather those who were driven out. And I will appoint them for praise and for fame in every land where they were put to shame. At that time I will bring you back even at the time I gather you. For I will give you fame and praise among the peoples of the earth when I return your captives before your eyes, says the Lord. A little while after Zephaniah writes this, less than likely 50 years, Babylon comes in and they lay waste to Jerusalem. And the judgment of God is poured out. And we'll get there with some of the later books of the Old Testament. God, God does bring His people back into the promised land. And there's a partial fulfillment of even these words in, in just partially a small picture of that restoration when Jerusalem was rebuilt but, but even those that remembered the temple before it was destroyed we'll see it says they wept because when that new temple was, was even constructed because it didn't compare to what was before. That isn't the final restoration. That was a small taste of what God would work and do. Christ comes and it kind of unfolds when we see the redemptive plan of God unfolding in Christ. And yet, Jesus, 40 days after His resurrection, ascends to heaven. And we're kind of in a cycle again now where we're longing, where we're, we're seeking that day where, where God does fulfill all which He promises. We're given a word like this in Zephaniah so that we know in the midst of the crazy, in the midst of the wars, in the midst of the personal sufferings that we go through, to realize God is not far off and distant and unconcerned. But God is with us and He'll never leave us nor forsake us. That God is accomplishing His purposes through every little bit of difficulty and even wickedness that people do. God's plans are not thwarted. They're, they're not put aside where God is too weak to deliver, too, too uh, unable to, to save. No, no, this day is coming. God will do these things. It's not contingent upon you. And it's not contingent upon me. 
in the gates of hell will not prevail against the work of God. God's going to accomplish this. Someday. Someday. What is our what is our response to this? What is the command of God for you and me in the midst of the seasons of tribulation? Through much tribulation, we must enter the kingdom of God. What is the, the response of our hearts to the difficulties we face and to the fearful situations in the world where it seems like everything's unraveling and everything's un- unfolding and, and the wicked are prevailing in life? Go back to verse 8, the beginning of this closing section of the book of Zephaniah. What does God say? Therefore, wait for me. Wait for the Lord. You don't have to get all worked up. You don't have to get all scared to death. You don't have to get all crazy prophetic and speaking things based off of speculation that you have no biblical authority to spew out before a group of people. Point people to faith in the Lord. Point people to the fact that God is still on His throne no matter what man does. Point people to the truth that God, even Jesus declares, don't fear those that can take your your body. Fear, Fear Him who can kill body and soul in hell. Like there's a fear of God that ought to drive our hearts, that ought to give us a peace, because we know these promises from that Lord, from that God, that, that we know His love and His grace and His mercy when we repent and we turn to Him, that we know we're not going to face judgment, but we'll find deliverance and salvation, that we know no matter what people do in this life and in this world, God someday will win. That God will redeem, that God will restore, that God will renew, that God will do all of these things. Save us and quiet us with His love. That He's a God who's singing over us even as we turn to Him and wait upon Him in the midst of our trial, in the midst of our burden, in the midst of our tribulation. I want to close with Psalm 130. It was a psalm of ascent, a psalm that was sung as they would ascend the hill even to Jerusalem. And I wonder... I wonder if it was written first. I imagine it was before Zephaniah wrote these words that we just read. And if it was, I'd imagine Zephaniah, as God spoke these words to him to deliver, Wait for me, says the Lord, had his heart turned to the words of this psalm. Psalm, I'm sorry, not 96, Psalm 130. Psalm 130. Out of the depths I have cried to you, O Lord. Lord, hear my voice. Let your ears be attentive to the voice of my supplication. If you, Lord, should mark iniquities, O Lord, who could stand? But there is forgiveness with you that you may be feared. I wait for the Lord. My soul waits and His In His Word, I do hope. My soul waits for the Lord more than those who watch for the morning. Yes, more than those who watch for the morning. O Israel, hope in the Lord. For with the Lord there is mercy. And with Him is abundant redemption. And He shall redeem Israel from all 
His iniquities. Heavenly Father, we come to You and we thank You that You are a God who redeems. Lord, that You are a God who will save and deliver and restore and renew all who turn to You. All who repent and all who by faith seek You. Lord, for Zephaniah, that meant following You even through the the judgment of Babylon that was to come. Lord, that meant receiving the promises that You gave to them and by faith clinging to them in the midst of all that, that life brought. That meant seeking You through the law and obeying the sacrifices that they were commanded to offer, knowing that it was not in them that salvation came. It was by faith in Your grace and in Your mercy, by faith in You. And all of those works were were a product of that faith, flowed from that faith. Lord, for us, this side of the cross, we see it so more fully, what Christ did for us, what You did for us through Christ, that our our faith is in that uh, eternally redeeming, atoning work of Jesus dying upon the cross for our sins, being buried and raised again. Lord, You have done that to save us. Someday You will bring it to fulfillment, to fruition eternally, that You will make all things new. Lord, as we live day by day in the brokenness of this world, give us faith to wait upon You, to rest in You, to trust in You through all that we go through, through all that we face, no matter what the days ahead hold. Lord, may we wait upon You. I ask all of this in Jesus' precious, holy name. Amen.